Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Welcome, JC. Thank you. JC and I, as you are watching this, are actually going to be standing in Gainesville, Florida, on the campus of University of Florida, doing a uh, presentation there. If you want to see the details, just so, you know, maybe, I don't know, you can fly over there in the next two seconds. But uh, we will, here it is on the calendar, so you know, you can always catch all our stuff on our calendar right there. Turning Point USA, bringing us into the University of Florida. Go Go Gators. Gators. Uh, tonight, if you are unable to watch, we will be live streaming on turning point. Uh, it's tpusa.com forward slash live feed. So, uh, I am told that we will be live streaming tonight's presentation at that point, uh, right there. So if you are able to join us or want to catch us a little bit later after this show, that's where we're going to be. Pretty cool, huh, JC? Yep. Um, JC, I wanted to uh, uh, lead in this this afternoon with uh, some really cool legal updates uh, that are happening because I've been talking about this issue with the uh, martial law and the federal government becoming involved in the uh, voter fraud and all that stuff. And I've been trying to explain to people that there are right ways and wrong ways to do this. And the right way is at the state and local level. The wrong way is anything to do with the federal government getting involved. So what we have right now, this is pretty exciting. Uh, We have Texas is going to, is suing. Let me make that a little bit bigger for you. Texas is suing uh, four states. In the Supreme Court, by the way, this is a constitutionally authorized battle. This does get proper jurisdiction under Article 3 when one state sues another state. And Texas will be suing uh, four states, four battleground states, in the effort to halt presidential electors from finalizing their president-elect uh, ballots, the the electoral college ballot votes for Joe Biden. Texas is arguing that electors from Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin should not be allowed to cast their votes because those states unconstitutionally changed their voting procedures during the COVID pandemic and allowed for an increase in mail-in ballots, and Biden won in those four states. And so I just want you to know that this this is how that's supposed to work. Yes, yeah, this, this is one of the only, well, I'm going to say only, maybe I shouldn't say that that way. This, this is one of the most sound legal arguments that I've heard as far as these lawsuits. Absolutely sound. As, as far as this deals with the right. law, the rule of law, right? Outside of the corruption issue, right? Like and this, this one, I, I think, said from the beginning, this is where it went wrong from the get go. This ought to have been a no brainer um, from the outset. 
Well, and it should these things should have been filed. There should be more than Texas doing this. Mm. There should be a, a, a lawsuit filed by every, every state. state. Every other state should be joining in. Now, I want to remind you that when I went through, I have several, I don't even know how many shows now, JC, where I went through the Constitution and the legal process for the counting of the Electoral College votes. Remember, the Electoral College votes are cast on this year, on December 14th. They are counted on January 6th. And the announcement is made contemporaneous to the count. It's done in the presence of the House and the Senate by the, the Senate president. And at that moment on January 6th, we determine who gets the majority votes in the Electoral College. But as I explained, there are ways, number one, the, the states can refuse to send their Electoral College votes for one reason or another. And that has happened in the past. And the Congress and the, the House and the Senate can combine together in agreement that elector votes miss the qualification some in some way. They're not certified properly or in this case would be unconstitutionally obtained or voter fraud is evident or however that works. And the House and the Senate can come together in agreement and say we will not count these votes because they're tainted in some way. Mm -hmm. And that's what the what Texas is doing. Texas is saying we are going to sue these states if they certify their votes based on the fact that they changed the law. Not by law, by the way. These were done outside the law. They unconstitutionally changed changed the rules. I, yes. Yeah, yes. I mean, they didn't Which interfered the with the law, right? The law said one thing. The rules went against the law, circumvented the law. Well, the, the, the rules changed the terms of the law. Hmm. And so Texas is saying, hey, we're suing you. This is why we are a constitutional republic, guys. This is how a confederation of states works. Our states are separate and independent sovereigns. So guess what? They get to sue other states for not being who they're supposed to be. This is how this should have worked for the sanctuary cities as well. Right. Step two, by the way, is to sanction those states. Other states say, if you certify these votes with the evidence of the rules being changing the law that's actually on the record unconstitutionally, we're not going to engage in commerce with you. We're going to, you know, we're going to deny our benefit of relationship with you. Now, that's a step that's further down the way if they refuse to comply. But nonetheless, these are the sort of processes that our states have to, to, to use to control each other within the contractual relationship. Yeah. So we we exist in a contractual relationship state to state. The contract is the Constitution. And these states are violating their own constitutions, violating their own laws, which creates a a conflict between the parties of the Constitution. And so here comes that lawsuit. So what is Attorney General Paxton saying in this article you're sharing with us? That the uh, failure to I'll put it back up here. 
The failure to abide by the rule of law casts a dark shadow of doubt over the outcome of the entire election. We now ask that the Supreme Court step in to correct this egregious error. It's a 154-page complaint. And basically, it's just saying, look, uh, you need to fix this. this and, is, and if this we is wanted to read it, where can we find it? You can find this article on The Hill. No, I meant the complaint. Oh, you can find the complaint. There we go. At the uh, TexasAttorneyGeneral.gov page. Right there. State of Texas versus the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania the state of Georgia, the state of Michigan, and the state of Wisconsin. I think this is really, really a great move. I am very pleased with Attorney General Paxton's move yeah. to do this. This is good stuff. This is really good stuff. And another interesting little twist I thought was a little interesting twist in all of this is that we have uh, Ted Cruz is agreeing to present oral arguments in front of the Supreme Court if uh, for the Pennsylvania voting, uh, voting mail-in voting case if the Supreme Court hears the appeal. Uh, explain that to me. So Ted Cruz, as a senator, can offer, uh, you know, sometimes the House and the Senate, they they do the, um, help me with the name of this, the friend in the, a uh, friend of the court brief. I can't even believe that word has just slipped to my mind. But in this case, Ted Cruz is going to actually give oral arguments on behalf of the uh, Pennsylvania Republicans suing and appealing the, the opinion of the lower courts in Pennsylvania. Hmm. I, think it's, I think it's pretty cool. He says, because of the importance of the legal issue presented, I have publicly urged the U.S. Supreme Court to hear the case brought by Congressman Mike Kelly, congressional candidate Sean Parnell, and state representative candidate Wanda Logan, challenging the constitutionality of the presidential election results in Pennsylvania. Petitioner's legal team has asked me whether I would be willing to argue the case before the Supreme Court if the court grants certiari. I have agreed, Ted Cruz says, and told them that if the court takes the appeal, I will stand ready to present the oral argument. He says, as I state, as I said last week, bitter division and acrimony we see the bitter division and acrimony we see across the nation needs resolution. I believe the Supreme Court has a responsibility to the American people to ensure within its powers that we are following the law and following the Constitution. So I guess as an attorney, he can is yes. like pro bono work for him. Probably. I mean, he's. You know, this is this won't be the first time that he's argued before the Supreme Court. And so um, we have the opportunity to or he has the opportunity to do that again. They've invited him. And I think that's going to be pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, Ted he's Cruz and I have a lawyer. Yeah. Harvard. Well, Ted Cruz and I aren't always on the same page, but I love nobody can argue that the man's debate skills are just stellar. He is above and beyond 
you know, excellence in that manner. Sure. And I would love to see somebody I mean, as articulate as he is to come forward with this. He's pretty solidly constitutional most majority of the time. Certainly, certainly way, way above many of his peers. Yeah. In, in that regard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, he's way above many people just period. as attorneys, yeah, sure. period, much less in the Senate. You know, I mean, I think that's that's I don't know. It, it makes for a very interesting scenario, a sitting senator making a Supreme Court argument on behalf of uh, these candidates in the state of Pennsylvania. I love Ted Cruz as a senator. I, I would have loved him as a president, too, if he had not been Canadian. He but he <laughs> but what we don't understand, what well, a lot of people don't understand. Anyway, it's the same thing that people we'll that topic. come uh, the same people that come to me and say, Chrisanne, you need to run for office. OK, do I run for office and become one voice or do I do what I do and train 500 people? to run for office and be 500 voices. Mm -hmm. And this idea that running for president is, is a promotion is completely erroneous. I, the, the Senate has more power, constitutionally speaking, more influence, constitutionally speaking, than the president of the United States. Remember, the president doesn't have autonomous power to do anything except issue pardons and a... Uh, state of the union address he has to have permission of the senate to do all that other stuff and so as a senator it is so much more important in my humble opinion for ted cruz to be a senator than to be a president and i mean that's just a setting aside the whole idea uh, the whole understanding that he's not a natural born citizen he's got dual citizenship so or he had dual citizenship i mean that's probably gonna set the chat room fire but <laughs> That's no mystery. People know that who we are. And, you know, bless his heart, bless his heart. But, you know, love you, Ted. There are some things that we can go for and some things that we can't go for. And I, but yeah. again, I, I think this is a pretty interesting argument. I'd like to see it happen. I am not familiar with anything in the Constitution or in Senate rules that would prevent him from doing that. I mean, there's certainly not anything in the Constitution that would do that. And our founders, who were representatives, also or argued in court. Hmm. So, I mean, John Adams, right? So I, I just think that it's going to be a very, very interesting um, thing that's, that could happen. Yeah, his his like rhetorical it. skills are high class. Yeah. Yeah. Way up there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, JC, I pulled this up on my phone just simply because um, if I put it up on the screen, the words would be so small and nobody would be able to read it anyway. And it's a it's a PDF download. But well, I'll drop here for you guys. I'll drop the link into our notes so you can pull it up. But what I want you to see is that uh, our there, there's this thing going around and I actually uh, JC, I actually jumped in and fell prey to it just a tiny bit. Um, the 
you, you, you know, when old stories pop up new all of a sudden, and like, look what mm. Congress just did or whatever. And this came across my my social media feed. Look what Congress just did. They just granted liability immunity to the makers of the vaccine of the covid vaccine vaccine. Okay. Well, that actually is not it's true and it's not true. It's not true because they didn't just do it. Okay. Mm. It's actually was done. I, I think I can pull this up. People can read this, right? Because I have the 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 notes yeah. from the uh, Congressional Research Service pulled up here. But this is actually an article by Thomas Sullivan at Policy and Medicine from uh, 2011. And so what we're really talking about here is the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1986. Mm -hmm. And in this act, it actually uh, grants liability immunity to the people who create vaccinations. And the whole argument is um, th that they generally, and I'm reading now from the, the Congressional Research Service, that these this act gives a general immunity from liability uh, with the sole exception to immunity when, when someone, uh, when, when a vaccination causes death or serious physical injury. Uh, and so physical in serious injury must be life-threatening. So uh, then you can sue so that's them. 86 law? 1986. And then in 2011, so J.C. under President Reagan. Yes. So then in 2011. Republican majority. Senate President George H.W. Bush. Just I'm just saying. Oh, go ahead and By the repeat way. that again for us, please. Uh, so the this law that mm -hmm. protect protected the vaccine companies mm -hmm. was in 1986. That would be under President Reagan, Republican Senate Majority George H. W. Bush, Senate President. Let me explain. Just in case you're wondering. Yeah. So let me explain <laughs> to you um, what this says. To encourage the expeditious development and deployment of medical countermeasures during a public health emergency, 1986, okay, the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act authorizes the Secretary of Health and Human Services to limit legal liability for losses relating to the administration of medical countermeasures diagnostics, treatments, and vaccines. In a declaration effective February 4th, 2020, the Secretary of HHS invoked the PREP Act, which is the 1986 law, and declared the coronavirus disease, 2019, to be a public health emergency warranting liability protections for covered measures under the HHS declaration, covered persons are generally immune from legal liability, which means they can't be sued for money damages in court for anything related to the, what, the administration or use of count, countermeasures against COVID-19. 
The sole exception is immunity is for immunity. Uh, the sole exception to the PREPT Act immunity is for death and serious physical injury caused by willful misconduct. However, individuals who die or suffer serious injuries directly caused by the administration of the covered countermeasures may be eligible to receive compensation through the countermeasures injury compensation program. So here, let me explain to you how this works. This 1986 act, which came under which president, JC? Um, Ronald Reagan. Passed by which house and which Senate? Uh, it would be Republican controlled house and Senate. Yeah. And who was the Senate president? Uh, the Senate president was George H.W. Bush. Yeah. Okay. Just so we're clear there. Yeah. I Bob, want you Bob to... Dole was the majority leader in the house. So just to be clear, when it says they have immunity from legal liability, that means you can't even sue them. If you sue them, your lawsuit will be dismissed on its face because Congress has given these pharmaceutical companies immunity. Now, it says there is an exception for death and serious physical injury. But there's an exception to that exception. So just because you take the vaccination and you die as a side effect, or just because you take the vaccination and then your baby is born with birth defects, which is a known side effect of this vaccination. If you take this vaccination and you develop some secondary disease, you may not be covered. You may not be able to sue anyway, because the only exception is that for is for willful misconduct. So if it's just a general known side effect, come on, you guys have seen these commercials, right? The, the 37 and a half seconds of, of uh, all, the all the side effects that come across with every vaccine, with every medicine that's, that they offer, right? One of, Jason and I were watching and one of the side effects was sudden death. Mm -hmm. That means in clinical studies, Enough people who received this particular drug had the side effect of sudden death that they had to announce that as a side effect. Now, here's the kicker, JC. If they list sudden death as a side effect, it is now no longer willful misconduct. Yeah, we told you you could die. We told you you could die by taking this. So it's not willful misconduct. Now the immunity kicks in. And you can't sue them for will for for your death or birth defects or whatever problem comes with this vaccination. And under a potential forced vaccine, then you don't even have a choice not to take it. Well, I mean, you know, you do have a choice, but you know what I mean. Right. And we all know that now they're saying we can make you take it. And then no matter what happens. So. What? Right. Well, and then you also have the situation now where airlines. And uh, certain other commerces are already saying we're not going to let you engage in our commerce unless you take the vaccination. So in short, immunity exists for these companies. Yes. But it's not new. 
Yes. They'll tell you there's an exception if somebody dies or has a serious physical injury, but that's not accurate. The exception must be from willful misconduct. And if there, if the side effect is listed in their side effects, it's not willful misconduct anymore and you can't sue them. So that's why you get these commercials with all these side effects listed. It's the lawyers wanting to kick in the immunity. Now, it says that you could be eligible to receive compensation. Yeah, they'll buy you off. Through the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program. Right. Which is, by the way, our tax dollars. Yeah, you paying yourself. <laughs> covering for the negligence of the pharmaceutical companies. Who cannot be held criminally liable. Who cannot be held civilly. Or criminally liable. Right. The taxpayers have to did. cover it. You are covering that. So the corporation still gets all of its profits. They get all their revenue. And if something happens, the taxpayers cover them. Yeah. So here's the thing. Even the courts, according to the Congressional Research Service, even the courts characterize this 1986 act, the immunity invoked by this 1986 act as sweeping. But of course, they don't do anything about it because, you know, plenary power kind of thing. Right. And it applies to all types of legal claims under state and federal law. So we're talking about tort law. We're talking about civil law. We're talking about negligent acts, omissions. You know, that's what I'm talking about. Right. So you have no. So now you have the federal government issuing immunity to private corporations for their actions. Taxpayers paying what the corporation should have to pay on top of the fact that the federal government is issuing a federal law that tells the states they cannot even allow these lawsuits to come against these people at the state level. We're like talking like 12 tier unconstitutionality here. So just to let you know, you know, dispute the little whatever that is debunk the the thing here's the fact checkers okay the fact checker for you this is a real fact checker no congress didn't just do this what congress just did was invoke the 1960 the 1986 act by declaring covid as a health emergency but in 1986 this act was put into law and in 2011 the Supreme Court, hmm. the majority opinion written by Roberts. Nope. Who? Alito. Alito. Hmm. The majority opinion written by Alito in 2011 upholding the act as constitutional. The protection of the corporations at the expense of people's lives and taxpayer dollars. Appointed by Bush. Appointed by Bush. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. In case you didn't know. So when you when you hear us talking about the Supreme Court justices and the fact that we come to, we tell you, well, you know, Kavanaugh is not a conservative. He's not even a Jeffersonian. And we talk about Alito being wishy-washy and 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 not a, a leader, but a follower. We do that because of the evidence of the things that we know that we're we're piling together and showing you. No actual constitutionalist could ever hold 
that this kind of law is constitutional. And what they'll tell you is, oh, well, the Constitution says that Congress can encourage science, right? Mm -hmm. Can encourage science and uh, encourage the patent protections, right? Only this is not what that means. Shielding someone from liability for people dying and birth defects and God knows what else is not encouraging science, people. I'm pretty sure that's probably the opposite. Unless, of course, your version of encouraging science is eugenics and watching people die. Because then that would be the only way that encouraging science for the benefit of the people would include killing people off and then holding corporations unaccountable for that. All right. Yay, 1986. Yay, yay, Supreme Court 2011. Yay, Justice <laughs> Alito. Whoop, whoop. Okay, you guys. 86, you got Iran-Contra out of that. We're on drugs. <laughs> bon Jovi. <laughs> Mr. Mister. And the Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. Woo. Good, good year. Good year, 1986. Take these broken wings. <laughs> Learn to fly again. Learn to live so free. Just say no. <laughs> you got to hear. Don't recall. I wish we had a Ollie North quote right there. Ollie I, North. I don't recall. I don't recall. I, I just. I, I don't just don't remember. recall. I don't recall. <laughs> I don't recall. I have no recollection of that. All right, JC, bringing us this news today to talk about. The options, Trump's options dwindle, according to Politico, as the safe harbor deadline looms. Dun, 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 dun. Yes, and today's the 8th. So today's de December 8th. So it's the whole discussion about that 1883 law or whatever, uh, December 8th. And and I think the, the discussion is there because while uh, the 2000 court, you know, with Bush Gore didn't, didn't, I don't think cite that directly. Right. There was this sort of rush uh, move mm -hmm. to get this thing decided by the eighth. And, you know, some analysts say that's what influenced their decision. Oh, well, they just gave it to Bush and said there was no, you know, we, we're not going to do a manual recount because of the deadline. Right. So that's the whole big debate. How does that, how does that influence now? Whereas, and then that thing is just a statute, eighteen eighty seven. Not a, it's not in the Constitution, right? So they don't. It, that's the question. They can yeah. say, well, we don't, we don't have to follow that or whatever. Yeah. Here's the. So it's interesting. Here's the text from that uh, Politico artic article. Um, it is a, an 1887 statute intended to prevent uncertainty about the winner of the presidential election. But here we have Gregory Roll working with Sidney Powell. I'm prepared to proceed forward and ensure all voters of our steadfast determination to maintain the integrity of our democratic process, no matter what corruption attempts to taint it. And so what will have to be decided, J.C., as an 1887 statute, 
Uh, first off, what is the constitutional authority for that? I mean, you already have established the date of the electoral college votes. Right. You already have established by law that there's an extension past December 14th to submit those electoral college votes. Mm -hmm. So you don't have there's there's room there. December 8th seems a bit arbitrary. It, it is very arbitrary. It is very arbitrary and obviously is not something that's well, has been an issue one time before, but not really because it was never challenged. So when you have a statute that hasn't been challenged in 153 years, then did I do that math right? Maybe. I guess. Anyway, uh, you have uh, you always have the opportunity to challenge it especially arguing the constitutionality of it, the arbitrary nature of it, and the changing times in it. The way they did the, um, I think it's the Jameson, uh, the way Alito talked about the Jameson case that had to do with the vaccination mm, from 1905. 130, 133 years. 133 I think. years. I, think I was like five sounded weird. 2007, 17. 1920. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the 133. Oh, good. Cause Politico said 150 right. years. Roughly. Maybe. Well, ish. ish. Whatever. Not, I mean, Politico's not what's, actually what's the, concerned about being over a century. Yeah. Yeah. We but get, Politico's we, we not really concerned about being accurate. No way. But I mean, we get the point. We get the point. Anyway, so number one, there is no constitutional safe harbor deadline. Number two, it's a statute that's over 130 years old. And number three, it's due to be challenged. Which says it just because the old doesn't mean it's wrong, but saying, no. saying the perspective of, of challengeability right. in the sense of people, exactly. could, people could question that and the justices could say, ah, we're not, that's not. Well, and according to this, in the perspective of this that. legal team, this law is simply. A, a guidance and not a dictate, mm -hmm. right? So it's a, hey, you really need to get this done resolution kind of thing by this date. Yeah, It's it not would... actually a law right. that says, you know, you have to have this done. Now, this is their, their take on it, mm -hmm. which is something sure. that they would argue, obviously. But what, what's interesting about how, how you would argue that is... Um, some of the same reasoning, right? The sort of counter reasoning was being used to justify the changes yeah. at the states, right? The deadlines for mail-in yeah. ballots and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So it's funny how that sets up a contrast. So, right. so, I, That's so I, a very good point. I, I think you're going to have people saying, oh, well, they're saying this December 8th date doesn't matter and they should be able to go beyond that. Well, but yet these lawsuits like the one from Texas, that's essentially at the heart of Wisconsin, Georgia, Pennsylvania, right. changing their laws was what they did was extend those dates. Right. And but I guess now the argument there is that it didn't go through the legislature. So it's not the power of this group to be able to do that. Right. Um, but then they, the court could say, well, we're not the legislature. This is the law. If they want to give you more time beyond December 8th, then the legislature has to change that. Right. So it's just interesting 
how you'd be able to argue that in light of the other arguments being made. Unless you argue that the legislature had no authority to actually set the date to begin with. That would have to be because what you're you know, the real argument that Texas is making is that the that the uh, the bureaucrats didn't have the authority to change what the legis proper legislation already did. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's a violation of separation of powers. That's a violation of undelegated authority. Yeah. And so if you were to argue first and foremost that the legislature had no authority to even establish this December 8th date, the December 14th date, they have the authority to establish the Dece- the January 6th date. They have the authority to establish. But you would have to argue that they didn't have the constitutional authority to establish a third date in that. Yeah. And I think with. this is where where people criticize the, you know, where they say the comments about. Uh, undermining the democratic processes. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is kind. Of, I think this is kind of the argument where okay, now you have lines of reasoning running in different directions right. for different positions. Um, so it's going to be interesting to hear how they how they deal with that and how that's countered right from the opposition right because it um, it really is kind it of it makes a mess. it sound like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. It does. And it's not a very good kind of of position to be in when you're when you're trying to say I'm taking the high road. Mm-hmm. But the, the but again, the, I believe it's because the real argument has to be made at the state level and not at the federal level. The real argument has to be fixed at the state level. Yeah. And that's what Texas is doing. Right. Is arguing these things at the state level. Now, um, you have you have. um these attorneys that are making these arguments, Sidney Powell and Gregory Roll, and what's the other guy's name? The Linwood. Linwood, who are making these arguments, they also have they also have cases filed at the state level, right? Mm-hmm. So the case that Ted Cruz is actually talking about is one of these cases that they filed at the state level. So, so it's going to be yet another argument that you hear. Right. You're going to keep you're going to now start hearing about the safe, safe harbor, harbor deadline, December safe 8th, safe harbor deadline. But just know that it's not set. The The authority and that date is not set by the Constitution. That would be something that would be an interpreted authority of Congress in their uh, authority to set the date and the time. Right. Yeah. How do, I mean, how does that compare to because you're, you're talking about. Um, what seems to me like in this case with Trump, you know, I mean, essentially he's filed these suits Mm -hmm. as a private citizen, basically. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's not like the government suing or whatever. So it's campaign. Um, it's almost, it it seems like in the realm of statute of limitations kind of thing, like, oh, well you only have 30 days to, to file this. I mean, how does that compare with typical laws like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. like I said, it seems arbitrary and a bit restrictive to say December 8th, you're the, the, uh, particularly when this is what's weird. I think there are, if I'm not mistaken, there are actually States that are not required, like their deadline to certify is after 
Well, here's December 8th. Let me, okay, let you me can't show sue, you. but they haven't even certified yeah. everything. That's so let me show you Article 2, Section 1, Clause 4 of the Constitution, which mm -hmm. makes our relevant argument here. The con And remember, Article 2 is about the president, and that's what we're doing here. So uh, just so you you know that Article 1, Section 2, or Article 2, Section 1, Clauses 2 and 3 establishes the Electoral College. Right. Just so you have that all in order. But this says the Congress may determine the time in choosing the electors, mm -hmm. the day on which they shall give their votes, right. which day shall be the same throughout the United States. Mm -hmm. This safe harbor thing is not about the Electoral College. The safe harbor thing is about the state popular vote, mm -hmm. which is not an authority delegated to Congress. They have the authority to set the time of the choosing of the electors. It is the time and manner of the of the local vote is a state issue. So in that argument, which is what I was saying, you to argue that they don't even have the authority to create the December 8th date, then you don't to avoid delay, right? So you can argue they don't even have the authority to set that date because their authority exists only in the time and the choosing of the electors and the date which the electors give their votes, not the dates involving the, the uh, uh, popular vote. That's just a state issue. So that's the successful argument if you take that. Yeah. Tuesday safe harbor deadline. Oh, what what the headline say? Uh, locks Congress into accepting Biden's win. So that's yeah. that's the new. That's what you're going to start here. The hearing. safe harbor locks Congress into setting in into accepting Biden's Biden. win. But the safe <laughs> harbor again. We're looking at the Constitution. Does not uh, the Constitution does not authorize. Congress to pass laws regarding the popular vote. That's why the popular vote, you know, the, the, the primaries are all different times. All of this stuff is a state issue. So the time and the, of the day of the choosing of the electors, the day on which they shall gather their votes. By the way, JC, if let's just think about this logically. If Congress was charged by the Constitution to establish the authority, the, the deadline for the popular vote, then they would have done that. And we wouldn't have all these different arguments state by state by state on when the vote can be counted and how it can be counted and all this stuff. So the, I, I know it's sort of a, 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 a logical fallacy the, to argue the absence of the evidence, but the absence of Congress issuing a law that says every single state must have their popular votes in by that date is further evidence that they're not authorized to do it. Because if they were authorized, they'd be doing it. And it's probably a terrible logical argument, but nonetheless. What you got there? It's just trying to read the statute. I don't think it's a big one. If any state shall have provided by laws enacted prior to the day fixed for the appointment of the electors for its final determination of any controversy or contest concerning the appointment of all or any of the electors of such state by judicial or other methods or procedures 
and such determination shall have been made at least six days before the time fixed for the meeting of the electors. Such determination made pursuant to such law so existing on said day and made at least six days prior to said time of meeting of electors shall be conclusive and shall govern in the counting of the electoral votes as provided in the Constitution. So this is not blah, even blah, a blah. popular vote issue. So if this is an electoral shall have vote. provided... This is about choosing the electors. For a final determination of any controversy. And such determined. This makes it sounds like if they had made the a determination of a controversy by this time. But it has to do with the choosing of the electors. Yeah. Why do they have to wait to choose the electors? They should choose, the electors should already be chosen. The choosing of the electors is not dependent upon the popular vote. This is not about the popular vote. This is about the choosing of the electors. Now, by the way, the choosing of the electors is not the same as the voting of the electors. The electors vote on December 14th. You choose the electors so they vote on December 14th. They're not telling you the electors have to have a you have to have a popular vote by that act. They're telling you you have to choose your electors by that. How are they saying that choosing the electors is the same as choosing a president? Am I reading? Am I hearing that wrong? This no, is about no, the choosing the state, of the electors. Yeah, no, it's about the state level lawsuits. The, where whether you know Pennsylvania, whether this he won, meaning the choosing of the electors. If, if, and so, it, but the it, Pennsylvania, it you got the you have to settle that six days before, in this case, December fourteenth. Right, but but it's about a dispute in choosing the electors. These lawsuits are not about choosing electors. These lawsuits are about the integrity of the popular vote. You don't choose the electors mm -hmm. by the popular vote. The electors are chosen. In a separate vote, the chapter electors are chosen in a separate process. These these lawsuits have nothing to do with how the states chose their electors. That's what that is. You have to choose. You can't delay the choosing of the electors past six days prior to December 14th because you have to have the electors to vote on December 14th. Well, but that's the point but of the law. But that's nothing to but, do. But I mean, that's what, that's how they're make. You know, in this case, how they're making that determination. So if if, you know, basically, hey, you didn't win this lawsuit, then we're going to go with this. I mean, that's basically what you, what you have. We're going to. So what you're Biden telling me is, is that no, 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 no. That's that's not. It's about the bodies picking the bodies who will cast their vote on the 14th, not picking the votes of those bodies. I don't know what that means. No, who, who picks the votes? What, what do you mean? What I'm saying is that statute is about choosing the people who will cast their votes, not about how their votes will be cast. It has nothing to do with Biden winning or Trump losing. It says you have to choose who your electors will be prior to six days before they're supposed to vote. Right. It's not about dictating how their votes will be. Just because you pick an elector doesn't mean that that person is going to pick Biden. Right? 
Am I missing something? I think so. But well, tell me what I'm missing. Well, the parties picked a slate of slate of electors. Okay, so there's a Democrat slate. There's a Republican slate. So if they if, if the determination is we think Biden won the popular vote, then that, as you said before, informs their choice, and mm -hmm. they choose the Democrat slate of electors. Okay, yeah, they're technically not dictating who the each person votes for. But that's the whole reason you have a Democrat slate of electors. They're going to vote for Biden. So we say Biden just as a placeholder for that idea, for all that, those details. You're picking Democrat slate of electors. So the implication there is if, if these lawsuits are the controversy in this case, this is what is sort of hinges upon mm -hmm. which slate they're going to pick. Then it sounds like it's saying you know, you, you have to settle that. You got to settle whatever controversy you need to make up your mind mm -hmm. and have that done by uh, six days prior. And, and this, I mean, it almost sounds like a direction to the states, which then would be separate of the lawsuits. Right. Well, the right. states are going to do what the states are going to do. Right. I mean, they may look at the Trump camp and say, hey, we don't, you know, appreciate you got a lawsuit still going on, but that's got nothing to do with us. We don't have a choice. Um, so with the, so, with the information we have, this is what we got to go with. So I, that, that's what they're up against, right? Mm -hmm. That's, that's the argument coming at them. That's what they're going to be facing, uh, today. <laughs> that's what they're going to be facing in these coming days. All right. Let's make this point very clear, everybody. This is yet another reason why our electoral college does not work the way it's supposed to work because of this Democrat slate, Republican slate, yep. unconstitutionality. You see, that 1887 law would not be controlling today if we did not determine that political parties elect presidents Bingo. instead of the way our founders intended that the stinking states would elect the president. So the political party corruption, one more time, bringing about the destruction of the constitutional process by which we elect a president. Now we have even more evidence that this political party power of these private corporate clubs is why nothing works in the way it's supposed to in, 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 in the Constitution and the federal government. As the prophet George Washington warned. As George Washington warned in his final address to the American people. The very first president of the United States under this very constitution that we're under. The last words that he had to say to the American people ever as the president of the United States. Probably arguably in his mind the most important address he would ever give the American people as a president of the United States. And he spent a good two-thirds of the time warning us against political party factions called them the bane a baneful foe and called them the destruction of american liberty so you want to know why the natural national popular vote is so popular today number one people don't understand the role and purpose of the president of the united states number and people when i say people i don't mean right left i mean generally 
The American population has no clue what the president's job is. Number two, the Electoral College. The general population has no idea what the purpose of the, the Electoral College is or how they're supposed to be casting their vote as a representative body. How does the Electoral College represent the state and the people? They have no, the general population has no clue. Number three, because we have become so freaking tribalistically, cultishly brainwashed into submission. We now have a system that does not work, but creates oligarchies, monarchies, and every other kind of aristocracy. And people hate the Electoral College. They want a national popular vote, which will be the nail in the coffin for our constitutional republic because political, private, corporate, club, tribalistic, blind following is destroying America. Amen. And there's my rant for the day. Very good. This was great. I'm glad we walked through this together because I think us walking through this together helped other people walk through this to see this. So this safe harbor thing is only an issue because we're cultish, tribalistic, political, corporate club, dictated politics. Yeah. Uh, the dysfunction goes well beyond corrupted ballots. Goodness if that's gracious. all we think is the problem, yeah, we're missing it. So, good stuff. I wanted to find his his farewell address. Yeah, you probably want to go over that. You could spend the whole show on that. Yeah, maybe we'll do that this right. week. We'll talk about George Washington's farewell address. That would be a good little teach show, I think. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, like I said, we are in Gainesville right now getting ready to teach to the Turning Point group there at the University of Florida. Praying there's no haters. I heard from our coordinator, no haters. That's pretty exciting to me. We'll see. <laughs> so God bless you guys. We'll see you tomorrow.